0: Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Our mission is to help couples develop biblically healthy marriages through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. We desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage.
1: Now here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Hey there, we are David and Tracy Sellers.
2: And we've made Vows to Keep. We're in part three of looking at finances. Is that something that's a thorn in the side of your marriage? If you missed the first two broadcasts in this series, you can find them on our website. Check them out at vows2keep.com.
1: If you're not sure if today's message applies to you, let me give you a few warning signs that today is definitely for you. Have you been checking your lines of credit or applying for new credit cards? Are you justifying purchases that you know will have you going into debt?
2: Do you have a budget? Are you and your spouse in agreement on your financial goals? Do you make big purchases without talking about it first?
1: Is there savings in the bank to cover those unexpected gotchas that come into all of our lives? On a scale of 1 to 10 within your marriage, are you serving money or is it serving you?
2: Here's another question to answer. What is financially separating us from each other and God?
1: We've had couples come for counseling, demanding independence in every aspect of their lives. Life goals, career goals, parenting. The only issue that was like clear enough to get their attention was their finances. And we thank God that we got to address all of their marriage independence with God's word. But it was the money that brought them to the table.
2: Issues with finances come up in other ways, too. We were recently walking beside a couple and the wife's greatest desire, like a lot of wives, was to be home raising her young kids. While the hubby didn't fundamentally disagree with this concept, he just didn't think it was an option financially. They didn't have a budget. So really, how could they know if it was an option for her?
1: Without having a budget, we're like planes with no destination to land. And there's no measurable instrumentation keeping us from crashing. And to run with this analogy, we've been talking about that spender spouse, the person who doesn't look far enough down the itinerary to fly past the most immediate destination. They can't go anywhere far because they can't stay in the air long enough to get there. Next, we talked about the saver spouse. They've packed on so much extra fuel that they don't even realize the plane is overloaded and can't even take off. Meanwhile, their focus is still on how do I put more on board? The giver was the next group we talked to, and this is probably the smallest of these groups. These are the people who sometimes have that tendency to neglect the things that are absolutely essential to flight. My friends don't have enough gas to go the distance. Sure, you can have whatever you need. Meanwhile, they haven't paid attention to the fact that their own tank is on empty. Their next flight is not going to result in a safe trip to their destination, but a crash between here and there. And finally, we spoke to the independent spouse. These are two people who are flying together and they've forgotten that they're even on the same plane. Sometimes they don't want to be on the same plane. They've each taken a flight stick. They've got an itinerary in their mind, but they overlook the fact that this plane is not going to go in two directions. Obviously, we've given the extreme on a lot of these cases, but truly taking any of these postures is going to kill the unity in your marriage and create a lot of unnecessary financial hardship.
2: In marriage, we tend to be married to someone who handles money actually opposite of how we would do it. Most marriages operate in this mode of competing with each other. So our goal today is to go biblical that we would complete each other and not compete with each other? And how does God ask us to manage our finances? Last time in this series, we shared our financial story or parts of it, how we discovered God's mighty word and those financial principles that are in it.
1: Vows Counseling as a whole became a matter of revealing biblical principles and allowing troubled people to choose do we wanna obey God's word or not? And that's exactly the choices we had to make as we were studying God's word about finances. These principles reveal God's instructions to us as his children for conducting our financial affairs. And I believe that one of the major themes of the Bible is exactly that, obedience to the Lord. Today we'll be covering financial principles that are real. Obedience demonstrates that you and I as Christians actually trust God. We can't truly understand any of the other financial principles until we grasp the first one and that is that God is the source of everything.
2: I remember Sunday school class when I was a little girl and reading and memorizing Philippians four nineteen. Maybe you do too, David. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Do you remember that verse, David?
1: I do, yeah, supply all your needs. So what do you do when you don't agree on a purchase? It's almost like, well, I'm not sure God actually is supplying my needs. You know, the wife wants to spend $300, the husband wants to spend $3,000, and we have to decide, are we going to get the push mower or the zero turn?
2: Hmm. Well, how do we know if this is a need or a want? Does God promise to provide our wants for us?
1: Let's look at Proverbs chapter 8, verse 20 and 21. It says, I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasures full. As we seek God and not ourselves with how we make financial decisions, the inheritance, well, it's not a zero turn. The inheritance is much better than this. It's the long term kingdom building treasures. 2 Corinthians 9 8 says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. Prayer is the answer. Look to the Lord because He'll provide it according to his will.
2: Many times we are in a position where we need God to come through for us financially, but that's not always the case, especially when we're praying those verses over our life. What has gotten you to where you're at asking for the Lord's help? If we're in a position of laziness, if we're in a position of selfishness or having a worldview that comes from the world itself and not from our Lord, it puts us in a position of saying, okay, God, where are you? Why aren't you providing for me?
1: The second principle is one of giving. We find this in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 38. It says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure that you use, well, it will be used on you. The more we view everything we own as his, the easier it is to give it for God's purposes. A couple came to us, and one of their big concerns was Money and she felt like her husband was trying to control her shopping. She was in turmoil. She was like, Listen, I don't know what's so wrong with me being able to go and be me. But what was happening was she was disregarding the budget. Now, her husband, he knew it, but he knew it made her happy. I don't know how to tell her no, he said. He knew her heart was in the wrong, but it wasn't about him trying to control her. It was about her yielding control to God. Therefore, he was stuck and they were across the desk from us.
2: And to compound the problem, he knew they were called to be giving. That was what God had planted in his heart. But at the month's end, there was barely even enough left to make that possible. The Bible teaches about tithing, and according to Deuteronomy 23, one purpose of that tithe was to teach the people of Israel to put God first in their lives. And the same is true for us. And those of us who are spenders, when we see money, we see it as our own first and foremost Those who are the giver in the marriage, they first trust God as provider and they see what they have as his. Let's read from Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. We try to fill up our own barns first, and then we give God the leftovers and he wants to flip-flop it.
1: And this has been true in our experience as well. When we give to God, he generously supplies our needs. Now, if you were to sit down with us as a couple, we would talk about your spiritual condition. Like a runner, we need to be in spiritual shape to run the race that God has for us.
2: It's easy to just chase the thing that's right in front of you that seems most important right now. We chase our kids, we chase their sports and whatever they're into. Our career, just to make those monthly payments happen. We don't have the foresight to invest in our marriage relationship. Our marriage gets the leftovers and we end up going bankrupt because we run out. And the same is true of our money.
1: Just like we need to live with physical margin and spiritual margin and even time margin, financial margin is our third principle.
2: So what does it mean to live on margin? Well, it means that you are allowing room for things to happen. We have done an entire broadcast on margin, an entire teaching on this, and it's been one of our listeners' favorites because it's something that a lot of times we don't see is missing when we recognize that God has created us to have margin in our lives and we make changes to make that happen. So many great things can happen in our marriage.
1: Having financial margin means having a savings set aside because we know the rainy days are coming. Basically, having margin means that you've got foresight.
2: And that can go past the rainy days and it can extend into the area of generosity.
1: Yeah. Proverbs twenty-one twenty says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools, they spend whatever they get. And in America, I think we've even taken that one step farther. We spend what we don't even have. Things like cars, right? They're going to eventually wear out. And if we're not already saving for its replacement, guess what? we are preparing ourselves to go in debt because there's no margin to replace something that we inevitably know we're going to have to. Proverbs 22.3 says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. And this couldn't be more true than in how we manage our money.
2: So one of the questions that gets raised in this is how much money should we have set aside? And I'm not talking about retirement, just talking about that margin in our budget. God's word directs us to seek out godly counsel. And this might be one of those areas that you need to take some action on. Who do you know in your life that could give you godly, biblical, financial counsel?
1: For us, we determined that it was wise to create this budget And that our savings needed to be able to account for about three months worth of living expenses without income. Now, the purpose of long-term thinking can't be lost in this process either. And while we don't necessarily view retirement years as something to be like, okay, finally, now's the time to go indulge ourselves. Because I don't think we can support that in scripture. It is important that we plan ahead. Because there is going to be a time in our lives where having a job may not be something that we can do.
2: And in a few minutes, we're going to talk about budget. And that really plays in. Before we get there, we're going to talk about the fourth principle, and that is to get out of debt if you are in debt.
1: And if you're not in debt, boy, avoid the debt trap. So many people view borrowing for a house or a car as just what has to be done. It's okay. But maybe they wouldn't go so far as to buy like a TV on credit. And I think this is really where we've Set the Americanized line in the sand that we as Christians accept.
2: But if we look at God's word in Romans 13, 8, it says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. What we see with couples that we counsel is that they keep taking on financial obligations. They keep buying until they reach the teetering point on their ability to make those monthly payments. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in some pretty deep financial waters, and it causes disunity between the two of them. Psalm 37:21 says, The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly, they're generous givers. They're able to do that because they are not under the weight of debt.
0: If you have a marriage question, please email questions at vows2keep.com. Vows to Keep will respond to you via email and perhaps use it on the air. Now let's rejoin Vows to Keep radio with David and Tracy Sellers.
2: The minute a person goes into debt, he loses a portion of his freedom. That weight just gets heavier and heavier, especially with compounding interest.
1: Proverbs 22 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, the borrower is the servant to the lender. It is so true. Currently, the average price of a car is about $40,000. And the car loan rates, of course, vary a lot depending upon your credit score. But for most of us, once we've paid off that loan, we've spent nearly $47,000. So is it inconceivable for you to save for something like a car or a house? Is, is that really possible?
2: If you would've asked me that question 10, 15, 20 years ago, I would've said, absolutely not. How in the world would I ever earn enough to save for the price of a car, no less a house, I have to borrow this money in order to get what I need. Again, the Americanized ideal that we've all adopted. Well, let me give you a really neat and inspiring example, at least it has been in my life. I'm related to someone who looked at God's word really closely as a young man. He really just combed through God's word and understood that debt was not something that God desired for him. So he worked really, really hard, and saved $200,000, and he bought his first house debt-free. He was able to walk in and make that deal without any strings attached. How awesome is that? He did the same thing with not going into debt over student loans, but instead taking a different approach to how he would have a career. He was really rigid in saying, I'm not gonna buy anything if I don't have the cash for it. Big ticket items or little?
1: And the lie is, well, we'll never get to $40,000 for a new car. Debt is the only answer. But the truth is that you actually can save $40,000 or how about $20,000?
2: How about $10,000?
1: Exactly. There's, there's a lot of ranges in cars. And most of the time you lose so much value by buying a new one. A budget is the tool that you need and you need it now. In fact, the biggest barrier to saving, is spending all that hard earned money on interest Easy credit now makes you very uneasy later.
2: David and I started out our marriage. I mean, we kind of knew what was coming in. We kind of knew what was going out, but it was a little bit ebb and flow. We didn't have a budget and we realized we are $200 short a month.
1: Yeah. The problem is as, as Americans, we are so blissfully uninformed. And that's the fifth principle is to keep records and use them to make a budget. Proverbs twenty three twenty three says, get the truth and never sell it. Also get wisdom, discipline, and good judgment. And getting the truth means assembling that spreadsheet with all your monthly bills on it. It means gathering all of your debts with the interest rates and the payoff dates and then figuring out what is the state of the state. Create a budget with what we can spend and compare it against what we can make. And then from there, determine how much you should have in savings And make a plan to incrementally save to the point you reach that goal.
2: The choices I made before we made that budget were very different than the choices I made after. It opened my eyes and we were able to make some great financial steps forward. So after you go through these steps, figure out by doing the math, when are we going to be debt free if we just pay things off just as they are right now with the minimum payments? Like what is our debt free date? Is it 10 years from now? Is it 50? Is it 100 years? It is possible. It could be that long. As you go through your budget, you're going to see some areas where maybe you've been a little lackadaisal or maybe a little overindulgent. You can cut back on that. Maybe take 50 100 $200 a month and start putting that money toward the biggest loan and then snowball it to the next loan and then calculate that figure one more time. Do the math again. If we start doing that, when will we be debt-free?
1: If my boss came to me tomorrow and said, David, I got bad news. Listen, we've been running this business without keeping any kind of financial records. You and I would say listening to this, whoa, dude, this is like financial suicide for our business. I probably better go look for another job. This one's not going to be sustainable. We expect our employers to be secure. We want them to be a good steward of our family's financial future. And that's the same as what God has asked of you and I. God entrusts you with your family and the resources it takes to take appropriate care of them. He expects you to be a good steward with the money that he's supplied.
2: If you go back and listen to last week's broadcast in part two of this series on finances, which we hope you do at vows2keep.com, one thing we didn't mention was the envelope system. And this was how we kept really active records of what we had and what we spent An envelope system basically is a series of envelopes that you label groceries, date, gas, miscellaneous, medical, whatever it is. And then you allot cash to those envelopes and say, this is the money that we have to spend on these things this month. And let's say we have $50 in our restaurant envelope and we get to the 20th of the month and there's only $10 left in there. Well, we can pretty much do the math on that. We can maybe go grab an ice cream cone, but we're not gonna be going out as a family and sitting down to dinner. That's gonna have to wait till next month. That enabled our budget to be tested and refined in a really simple way, and it kept us on track for years and years. It was such a key element to us getting debt free.
1: By having a budget, having this plan, and then keeping good records, and then of course being honest with yourselves, your family won't fall into these kind of financial troubles. I never see people who are financially successful, who don't have a budget, and don't keep good records.
2: All right, we're going to jump into this sixth biblical principle today, and that's about being content with what you have. For most people listening to my voice, you know, we're in the top percentage of the richest in the world, and that's what we always hear. You should be so grateful because look how rich you are. But in reality, that's not a great motivator. At least it's not for me because we're in love with our lifestyles and we're drooling over other people's lifestyles. We want what they have, even if we know we're the richest on earth. We're always searching, always seeking, always striving for the next thing we can get our hands on. I think Hebrews thirteen five puts it well when it tells us to keep our lives free from the love of money and to be content with what we have because God himself has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God knows that the love of money is a pitfall for us. The person who owns a house, for example, that's worth $150,000, well, they want to make that next step up to that $250,000 house, the one that they pass every day on their way to work. The person with that $250,000 house, well, they're spending their extra time searching real estate sites, wondering what's out there for 450. dollars and so it goes. So let's read from 1 John 2, starting in verse 15. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. And I think that's the first caution in here is, are we loving the things of the world? Or are we loving our Father? Because our actions are going to look totally different if we're doing one or the other. Well, let's continue in 1 John chapter 2. The world offers... Only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. And these things are not from the Father, but are from this world. It's like this litmus test. We can look at our lives and we can see, what am I chasing after that's from the world? Well, is it a lust of the eyes? Is it a a lust of the flesh? Is it because of pride? If so, those are not from God. Verse 17 continues, and the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. Everything you see right now that you're chasing after, is going to be gone. It's going to be burned up. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us. But anyone who does what pleases God is going to live forever.
1: The world has got all of this shiny bling out there to tempt us, but God has so much more to offer us in eternity. This is about focus. What are we focused on? Where is our time being spent and on who? Are we working ourselves to death because of a lust of the flesh or the cravings for what we see or the pride of life? Well, I would say so often the answer is yes. So what's the motivator for contentment? It goes back to focus. When I'm about me, I get pretty worried and pretty discontented fast. When I'm seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I'm in my sweet spot. A worthwhile saying to remember on contentment is this: use it up, wear it out, make it do, or do without. If God wants you to have it, he'll provide it.
2: Our final principle is that of hard work. We're going to kick off this principle with Proverbs 14:23. Work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. As you've noticed today, we've used a lot of verses from Proverbs has so much wisdom for us as we seek to do God's will in our lives regarding finances. Here's another one from Proverbs 28:19: Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies are going to have their fill of poverty. Adam and Eve did work in the garden before there was sin. Work is not a consequence of sin. It was the way God made us. And this is a principle that we see all throughout the Bible. Many times we find that people in financial trouble aren't working hard. It's easier to sit back and hope that things come to you, isn't it?
1: Whether you're starting a business and trying to figure out a plan for doing that or just managing your own personal finances, the principles we've talked about all apply. God is the source. We need to give first. We need to live within our means and make sure we've got money set aside to be able to do that, stay out of debt, and be content. As we learn to follow these eternal principles in our personal finances, guess what? Joy comes from trusting and obeying God.
0: Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not for profit organization, our commitment to Christ like marriages includes providing much needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit vowstokeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.